Hello and welcome to Torty Talks. This is my eleventh batch of stuff. I've got quite a mix, uh, this three-week group. Some not exactly funny, and some I hope you'll find generally entertaining. Pleasure has been far too strong a word for the majority of my life, but it has been the most important one from the very start. It's not that I'm a hedonist at all. I just like to make the best of whatever situation I'm in. It makes things easier. I think of myself as a philosopher. I also like to make jokes, not ones with punchlines or ones where anyone gets punched or even slips up. I just like to put a funny spin, a comic spin, on the serious side of life. It's an attempt to stop me being too serious myself. That's another thing. I'm prone to depression. Prone, but not doomed to it or by it. I've worked out ways of managing my moons. Some of my methods actually involve other people. It's only very recently that I found the right one. But there's the bulk of my story there. So maybe that's where I ought to start properly. She, my wife, described me as being a writer a few days ago. We were in a hospital and talking to a hopefully highly educated medical chap of some description who held matters of life and death in his hands on a daily basis. Today he was holding hours. In front of him was a sheet of A4 paper stuck above his desk with the words ECGs must be saved at all times or something to that effect. In large enough to irritate red computer print. There is no way I can stop myself mentioning the fact that a plural does not need an apostrophe in it. When I'm at a grocer's corner shop and they put an apostrophe before the S, uh, by hand in black marker pen on a label stuck in a bananas with an apostrophe. <sighs> After some thought, the medical chap asked if I was a teacher. I sort of have been, but not of English. It was then my wife said I was a writer. I'd never heard anyone say that of me before. She does a lot of things like that. Simple stuff, supportive, empowering, wonderful and surprising. That's not why I love her. It's one of the reasons our love keeps growing. Right, I've got that off my chest. And manage not to put apostrophes in my plurals as I did it. Yes, I know my grammar is dreadful. Too many commas and hyphens and buts and ifs, but I get the point over well enough. Language changes all the time and I want to help it along. But I won't let it go backwards or downwards. Stop me and ask me if you don't know what I mean, won't you? Clarity in speech and communication is essential. I delight in reading or hearing a well-pointed argument, not a verbal fight, but a conversation between two other people which I don't have to work out to follow. When it's done well, I have enough spare brain power to work out what I would have said if I was being talked to and not lose track of what is actually said there. Thinking about what has been said and what it means to me, thinking in general, is always delightful for me. However, it gets in the way of learning, certainly school learning. So I gain nothing from my present years as a youth, save for a dislike of formal structures of any sort. 
Lack of structures in my life is a real pain. I have to learn everything by myself. I can't use existing methods because of many reasons. Basic among these is that I have no idea what they are. Even if I did, I would fall into the trap of doing too much of my own thinking to be able to follow the teacher's line of thought. So I'd be lost within moments. See, I said I would ramble, but it's all relevant stuff. I'm in love, and it's a surprise. I'm a writer, but I, I have not written much yet. I have things to say, and I think they're verging on the outright mad. So I need someone to check my thinking over. And that's your job. So here goes. That was a natural break in my narrative, so I had another cup, well, mug of coffee. Then I burped. I'm sorry about that. I don't like doing that. I, I try to keep it to myself, but it's important. It shows an aspect of my life which I wish I'd known earlier. That is, things I do may not be under my control, let alone be my fault. Better than that, though, is the realisation that even though I may be blameless, I'm not powerless. The first step in altering the unalterable is to notice it. I've always burped, that's, but that's not true. For years, I never burped. As a child, I wondered how it was done. Kids at school could do it, seemingly whenever they wanted, often when I was near them. This was another reason I was none too fond of either school or childhood. I did experiments to see what would result in a burp. I tried hard to work out what was going on inside my soggy bits, which could result in that sound everyone else in the world made, and I could not. I could do other things with my innards, which many people couldn't, though, but I wished I couldn't. Uh, there was a trick, or a curse, I uh, actually had in common with someone else, my mother. We called it a hurty burp. It was outwardly similar to other people's burps, save for two things. There was almost no sound, and it hurt. It hurt a lot. A spasm would hit the chest deep inside with no warning, followed half a second later by the body telling us this was not a good idea and warning us not to do it again by presenting a terrific burst of agony which could last for ten or more seconds and leave us shaking for half a minute or more after that. Mentally, we could still be shaken some time later, and yet we, neither of us, could ever work out what the heck caused it. I still don't know, but now neither of us suffers any longer. Well, not that badly, anyway. The point of this? Shortly, in retrospect, after my experiments at controlled, pain-free playground noise-making ended, I found I could indeed, at last, burp on demand. Not only demand, but very pleasingly, I could also decide not to burp when the feeling came on. Sorted, thought I. It was many years later that I lost that control. During a long and stress-filled adult relationship, one of the many things which irritated my ex-partner was the way I burped. It was explained to me that I inhaled as if by spasm first, and then performed as if by choice. The first was truer, the second was not. However, I tried experiments to see if I could control the second stage consciously. It was then I remembered my earlier no-performing problems. I find that sort of thing funny, by the way. That, too, is a cause of annoyance to my ex-partner, as I seldom explain to the outside world why I burst into laughter in a silent room while not reading. I, I can understand that. 
Now I can explain the relevance of all of the above. It was not my fault, but I did manage to control it. Eventually I learned, although I can't remember at the moment how, that I had a stomach complaint, which could be remedied by taking tablets. Now, whenever I burp, it's because I've forgotten to take them. One a day for the rest of my life. This leads me to another thread in the story. That of corporate world domination, greed, waste, idiocy and short-sightedness on a global scale. A point which I shall expand on later, I expect. At the moment, I'll restrict myself to ranting that surely with millions of people in the West having the same problem, a real solid cure could be found. Fixing the problem, not just clearing up after it. But that's how the world makes its money at the moment. Part of my role in life is to change the reasons that make that true. It was true, it was me, yet it was not my fault, but I changed it anyway. Once I knew what I was doing and why, I can do that sort of thing, given time. I got carried away a tad back there. My plan was to try and get some sort of help with my current part-form question. Being only part-formed at the moment, I can't really say what it is, but the general outlines are that I don't believe what's going on. A voice from upstairs has just called out something about a TV programme I think I want to watch. Being a computer, it was not very clear in either its speech or the details of the programme. Harsh of me to complain, as what just happened is utterly impossible. Impossibly, I made the television come on then. Impossibly, I made it tell me what the computer upstairs just said. It would be good to be able to stop the voice repeatedly reminding me now that I know, but that would mean I'd have to walk upstairs and disable it. I'd like to turn it off from this laptop, but that would be impossible. Oddly, a few years ago, I could do it, but the technology has moved on and old solutions no longer work, replaced by far newer ones, which ever fewer people even know about, let alone understand. This leads me to my next strand of thought. The impossibility of life as it is today. When I was a child, I remember reading a book about thermionic valves. They were the things that you had to wait to warm up before the radio or TV would come on after you flicked the switch. The book was complex and obscure, and I doubted that I would ever understand any part of it. After all, I'd only begun to read a few years earlier. Eventually, I did find out what was going on. After clicking the switch... A radio or television used to take a good minute, sometimes, for the bigger sets to actually do much. As a child, I'd reach up, probably, and do the clicking thing and wait, possibly go back to my chair or sit on the floor for a while in eager anticipation of maybe Doctor Who. On my more investigative days, I would lean over and look in the back, peer up inside the air slots of the instrument in question, and try to see the red heaters in the valves start to glow. After a while, the wires inside the base of the glass tubes would indeed have begun to heat up, and soon the metal above the heaters would also start to glow. A few more seconds was needed before the heat would make its way up to the metal core of the tube inside the valve. When the right temperature was reached, something amazing happened. The bit of metal near the glow is a strong electric voltage applied to it. The electrons are shaken free of the metal by the heat, and a strong electric field pulls at them from above. 
these freed electrons rise up as a current until they hit the grid, a net made of metal which is also charged with electricity. The electricity is at a very small but changing level, which carries the signal the valve has been built to amplify. As the voltage changes on the grid, more or less of the a cloud of heat-freed electrons can get through it and make their way up to the top of the valve and out back to the circuit. The result of all this action is that a small signal on the grid is amplified and becomes a large signal out of the top. Only when everything is hot enough and there are enough volts available to pull the electrons around will the radio or TV come on. Great stuff to watch and the smell of the heat and the rising dust on the back of an old TV can really take me back. Today though, click and it's on. Impossible. The transistors take no time to warm up at all, but the TV screen may still do. So there is some time to wait for the picture, even if the sound is there all at once. Hang on, you say, but it takes me ages for my TV to get going when I turn it on. Yes, it's true. Things did speed up for a while, but over the last few years they slowed down again a lot. This is because computers have been added inside televisions and even radios. In computers, again, there is no time needed for things to get hot, but time is required for the electrons to make it through the mass of small wires in the chips. This is not what you're waiting for, though. You wait for the software to be loaded, and while the system works out what to do with it, then you have to wait again while it actually does something. That full process can last upwards of 30 seconds or so. Is this such an advance, I wonder? Daft, but what it can do once it's finally managed to start is so remarkable, I get back to calling it impossible again. In the days of valves, I could see what was going on. Today, that's not an option. All I can hope is to have a bit of an idea of what may be happening inside a small lump of black plastic, which I can't even see. Some of the magic has gone, but a lot more has taken its place. I feel oddly distanced from technology now that I can't know all about it. It doesn't help to realise that no one can. I'm tempted to ask, perhaps, that total knowledge really is impossible, but part of me begs to differ. Time does not pass. Time is a description of the way we humans move, even when we're not doing anything. Humanity can in part be defined by the way we move through existence. Our awareness, consciousness, perceives what it is out there that's changing. In just the way we can see the landscape change through the window of a train as it takes us along, so our view of existence changes as we look at it through the perception possible to us through our more commonly used senses. I think we can go back. I have gone back many times recently. It's not quite the same as I can't go back through my own time. I don't get younger physically, and nor would I want to, nor do I get younger mentally, or I forget I'd been older and that would be pointless. And how could I tell? 
What does happen is that the old world as it was can be revisited by recreation and re-experienced from the new perspective of having been somewhere else since I last saw it. You can think of time as being a path through a fixed set of possibilities. The possibilities are fixed, but there's an almost infinite number of them, and you have free choice as to which options you can take, but you can't choose something impossible. So the future is both free for you to choose from, and yet you have a restricted set. I think that's an interesting way of thinking at life. When I met my wife, I already knew her. We met online, at first by simply typing words. After many email exchanges, a few photographs and one sound file, we plucked up the courage to try the telephone. We giggled for ages. The impossible was true. We were in love and yet had not even physically met. We knew each other and had recognised the fact from the very first exchange of emails. Our time together since then has been filled with re-experiencing the shared experience we first knew long before we met. This is impossible, but it's just as solidly true as the computer on my lap now. The warmth I felt as a child at my family home was lost when I grew older and left. Now I'm married, that warmth is here again. Never actually having gone anywhere, it was me that had moved. It feels that my wife was with me then, when I was alone in my room as a child, feeling safe with my things with my parents downstairs watching TV. Reality tells me my wife was in Iran at the time, enjoying her family and friends, getting ready to share our life consciously some forty years later. We both have had several partners before we met. We both have two children. All four loved deeply by both of us. All four accepted both of us and our relationship. It's as good as truth. The impossibility of this is that it happened. Not that it could, that it has. So many things are true now, although impossible in the very recent past. So many wildly improbable coincidences are now everyday life details that, frankly, I think something funny is going on. I believe it, but I don't any longer think these things can have happened or have come together using simply the methods we know through our current scientific and reductionist understanding of the world. Take this, for example. Everything I have done and thought as a lone child in my bedroom, I'm talking hobbies here, it's now expanded to become the way the world itself works and thinks. It is a sign of a certain madness to consider oneself the centre of the world, but philosophy shows that we may very well be. If perception itself can create the world, as subatomic science has to admit, that makes the perceiver the centre of all creation. I find myself drifting into this sort of thought as an explanation for the continuing unlikelihood of my current good luck. OK, things change, but now I know that truth is just me moving through an existence. I know it will always be there for me when I come back. I can feel it in the future as well as in the past, and it is now with me as I type. And I like it. I trust myself to be able to know that in the future that reality of now will always be with me. It can't be taken away. Even if I forget, reality is fixed. 
I'm just not in that bit at the moment. I have been and am loved, so always shall be. So, what's the problem then? No problem, but a heck of a question. I did some time travelling a few months ago with my wife. I took her back to see the places I had lived in when I was first warm and safe. They were all still physically there, but the safe warmth had moved with them from the physical place to be with me and her. Seeing the old house did not bring it back. It was already with me, but it wasn't attached to the house anymore. What did happen, though, was far more unexpected. In the last few days, a new programme has been given away on the internet. One of the impossible things I've been playing with for years. Programmes used to cost hundreds of pounds and are now often free. Things which I used to dream of can now be done with these programmes in ways which simply demand scepticism. I can fly down roads I've never visited, take trips all over the world in seconds and fly back in moments to see places I know really do exist, reality-checking photographs from space of the entire globe. I can read road markings in London and Sydney and I can recognise a road I lived in for years, the road my wife and I visited last month. My memory was good enough. But when things don't add up, solid evidence is needed to show madness has not actually caught up and grabbed me. The images from space matched, and yet did not totally match my memory. All the badly taken photographs I had made from space, I can see the roof of the house, and can see an extension that has been built on it, an attic conversion. Quite clear. I can see the gaps in the road markings outside, the lamppost, the red box up the road, and yet our visit showed that the photographs I took show no such conversion has been built. That's it. That's the question. From now on, I have to ask what's going on. So I turn to you. What do you think? Is it the wrong road? Is it the wrong house? Obviously, it has to be one of those things, but uh, all the other checks I can make show this is the right building, just different. The house is over a hundred years old and has never had an attic conversion. There's a chance there may have been a small window in the roof, but the shot from space shows two clearly defined windows in the front of the roof, which simply are not and never have been there. This is some elaborate joke. Is it an error? Yes, the programme has bugs. I can overlay maps which don't quite line up with the photographic images. It amazes me that there is even a chance that they could align at all, so I'm not quibbling about that. Electronic signposts, pin markers with names of places have been stuck in the wrong places all over the globe. A label marking Jersey is stuck on Sark. Indicators of interesting features are floating miles out to sea. These are programme bugs. There's a strange white image which looks as if it could be a Lego tower block of massive proportion on its side, running across several gardens some miles from where we lived. This is an artefact of a flash of sunlight blinding the satellite's camera, or so I deduce. The added or missing windows, the attic extensions, or not on my own house, but also on my neighbour's house, which also checked out as not being there on our visit, can be explained by someone with a photo editing package. But why on earth would they bother? Who would do such a thing? There is a further difference between our checked reality, as supported by my snapshots, and the view from space. 
outside what can only be my old house a very clearly growing three or four mature trees, or at least bushes that can be seen from above. Humans can muck about with roofs, but plants big enough to be seen from space don't come and go like that, nor not leave a mark on the pavement. This is a function of the failure of memory, the failure of perception. What can you trust? What is reality but your perceptions? What world are we in when we think of something and see something and yet some other perspective tells us something different? I've been looking for a subject for a book for a while. I've also been searching for a job which could actually pay me enough to give my wife and me what we both want. <laughs> a mortgage paid off. On top of that, I'd like to have a feeling of high self-esteem. I want to do great things and to be seen to have done them and also be thanked and paid for enjoying myself as I make the world a better place, a closer fit to my ideal of perfection. It is such a tall order that has taken a lot of effort to crane my head back far enough to see all of it. Clouds still obscure the very peak, and parts of the way up are totally invisible. But maybe, for once, I'm looking up the right tree. Now maybe I can start to bark. Currently, I can see a cat metaphor which would fit the above. Bugger, made me laugh there. The view, fragmented as it still remains, is that I try to create a future. If I can map out the way I think people can live better, if I can create a framework based on the best of the past shaped on the facts of the present, I stand a chance of reaching and then surviving into a future that is created from my hopes rather than based on my fears. I've just watched a part of a new TV programme covering the Enlightenment. Yes, this is another subject. I was concerned that my lack of education would result in me being utterly incapable of understanding a thing about it. But TV producers know well that their audience knows nothing and pitch their offerings that they who can, even if they don't exactly already understand and think for it themselves. So I understood more than I expected. I could follow and ride ahead of most of it, as so I should have been able, as I am many centuries ahead of the Enlightenment, but the specific knowledge of the thoughts held then and the, and the names and actions of the thinkers is still unknown in the main. It was clear enough, though, to see that my own thinking is still pointing the right way. From this, I can attempt to point further. I have predicted the future so well, it concerns me that the world is already following my blueprints. I should take great care with them if this is so. We are getting lost as a species. So where do we go from here? In my view, the future follows all it can follow. And that is the past. It can only do what has been part planned for. At least, progression can only move along pre-planned paths. Stability may be a better way to live, but what we have now is not sustainable in any way, and so can't pretend to have any stability for much longer. While the structures of modern life hold up, we can reach further and hope to grab the foothills of the next metaphor, the next range of hopes and fears. If we do not attempt to climb now, we shall fall further down than we ever have been. 
On the way up, we have lost our abilities to live off the land as individuals. We have also lost the land which could support us even if we remembered how to husband it. Should we fall, the pit is deeper by our digging than before we started and have forgotten how to climb. Only if we jump from the shoulders of our remembered past now while we can, shall we chance to land on a new but higher solid ground. From there we can build again, and if we wish, we could decide to rest there. Rest here, and we all fail and fall. The future is what we make of it. The path to follow is what we plan. The shape of things to come has been seen before. What part do I play? I play it for my own reasons. To pay the bills, to feel good, to be happy, to be right and to be seen to be right. I don't want to play the game though. I've tried it and I'm bad at it. I don't like the politics game nor the education one either. I either can't do them or just dislike them because they are bad in themselves. I can't tell the difference and I know I'm right. I feel it too easy to say that I do badly there because it's bad to do it well. It feels good to think so, though. What feels good is normally the right thing to do if you know how to feel. I do know how to feel. No solid path forming yet is there. It's a big task, the largest there can be. I have some of the tools, some of the knowledge, some of the energy and uh, maybe some of the time. But I really ought to go and do some work.